We don't want to spend our vacation time sitting on the side of the road beside a broken down motorcycle. So in today's episode, we have some tips and ideas that's going to help prevent you from suffering that fate. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schmuck. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ross. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeBell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Google Tech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. sun is streaming across the landscape as you pull away onto a virtually empty road. You're on your adventure. There's no schedules. There's no deadlines. It's just you and your bike. You're shifting up through the gears, wind on your face. That feeling of freedom begins to soak in. Then you think, what the? You look down, you look left, you look right. The damn thing quit. And now you're broke down on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, and that incredible landscape has just become a huge pain in the ass. Well, we've all heard the stories of breakdowns on the road, and maybe you have your own stories too. We've heard some of the stories on this show. And sometimes the rider gets it fixed on the spot. Other times it's a long wait to have a repair shop do it, or maybe you have to wait for parts. And, and in particular, those wait times end up costing money and, and possibly creating boredom. But mostly, it's not what you went on your adventure to do. 
you went to ride and explore and see new things and and maybe enjoy the adventure, but I doubt very much you thought, hmm, uh, where can I break down? What sort of adventure can I go on to break down somewhere? I'm not saying that breakdowns don't make great stories and that the downtime couldn't make for new adventures, but I think that most of us would rather avoid it and sort of choose how we spend our time as we uh, venture around the world, across the country, to the next province or state. Well, Grant Johnson knows a thing or two about travel. He and his wife Susan spent 11 years traveling two up around the world. He's been a motorcycle racer, a mechanic, he's owned a dealership, and he's also one of the founders of Horizons Unlimited. The other founder, of course, is his wife, Susan Johnson. So I put it to Grant to come up with some tips and tricks to try and avoid or at least mitigate breakdowns on the road. Grant, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hey, thanks, Jim. Good to be back. It's always fun to be here. Of course, you're never that far away because we're on Raw all the time anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, That's a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the topic has come up about um, well, dealing with mechanical problems, I guess, and, and um, trying to prevent them before they, they happen. Because, you know, we, we talk a lot about this, about people having to deal with breakdowns while they're on a trip somewhere. But you just said to me, better to prevent it than have to deal with the breakdown, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're going on a trip... Who wants to work on their bike, right? <laughs> yeah, I find you hear about people having all kinds of problems and breakdowns and, and ways of getting around it. And you know, there's always people get really, really worried about what if my bike breaks down? Well, oh, yeah. somebody will come along. You're on a road, so somebody's going to pick you up and haul you off to a repair shop. But what a pain in the neck. You know, why not prevent the problem in the first place? And it all comes back to good old basic maintenance and proper preparation. You know, there's a lot of things you can do to help prevent problems. Well, when we first started talking about doing this, one of the things I was looking for was a bunch of tips on things you could prepare in advance. And because the one we've talked about before is this, the spare cable for your clutch. Sure. You can do that, but I'm not really a big fan of carrying the spare cable attached to the bike beside the cable. I think that's, that's a holdover from the old days when cables broke all the time. They were, they were made out of little tiny thin wires um, a clutch cable would be the size of a modern throttle cable, for instance, and, and they broke. They were poor material, they were badly routed, nobody maintained them, and they broke all the time. So carrying a spare cable attached to the other one wasn't a bad idea. The problem was that modern cables now last so much longer, you could run three years without having to replace the cable. So here's this cable out in the open, probably getting grotty, probably didn't seal it quite as well as you should have at top and bottom. So you're getting water in there and you're getting rust. And by the time you go to use it, it's kind of not very good shape anymore. Oh, we're talking about the spare cable. So there, we wrote the, the spare, spare cable. On, it's rotting while it sits there. Yeah, just sitting there out in the yeah, open and, and, right. getting, and getting damaged. So, and, and the other problem that people do is they'll go into their dealer and buy a cable for their bike and they'll tape it up and they'll think, great, I'm all set and feel really proud of themselves. And then a little while later, eventually, they come along and go, oh, cable's broken. I guess I better replace it. And they go to stick it on. And, and oh, dealer gave me the wrong cable. Doesn't fit. <laughs> so my, my rule has always been when you get a new set of cables, you put them on. And then your old cable, which you know works because it was working before and is still a perfectly good spare, is now your spare cable mm -hmm. rather than keeping the brand new one as a spare works much better and means you're not going to have to do a repair in the middle of nowhere uh, farther along the road. So 
better to do that in the first place. Do modern cables break in particular points? Like, like are they bad at some spots? All cables break. Well, I shouldn't say. Yeah, I should say all cables break at the pivot point. That's the 99.99% of the cables break at the clutch or front brake cable, if you have a front brake cable or whatever, at a pivot point. Um, the reason that they break there, at the think of the clutch, for instance, when you pull in your clutch, that cable has to actually rotate in its mount in the lever. That's a pivot point. If that cable can't rotate easily because it's been well lubricated and it's properly set up and it's been taken care of, if it doesn't rotate easily, the cable itself bends instead. And we all know what happens when you bend a piece of metal. You bend it enough and it's going to fail. And that's what happens. That's where the clutch cables always break is right at the pivot. The better setups, I guess, have um, pivots there for them. Like, you know, like I know that on the the F800, it's got a it, it, the cable connects to a little bit of linkage that allows that movement before it connects to the actual clutch arm. Yeah, that's really nice when they do that. But even that should be lubricated because if you don't lubricate it, it gets worn because it's still dry and grotty and something is moving in something else. And if it's not lubricated, it's metal to metal and it's going to wear out and then your clutch cable and clutch lever feels sloppy. If you have a cable that's got a, a Teflon end on it, like I shouldn't how you describe that, you got a round barrel and there's a little bit of Teflon over the very end of it where it's taking the load so it slides a little better. That's good, but you should still lubricate it. I make sure when I'm setting my bike up, I take the lever off, clean it thoroughly, and then put it back together with a big blob of grease on it. And do that every two or three years and your cables will almost never break because that's where they break because they're not lubricated. So if you lubricate it, your cable is going to last years longer. So if you're looking for a cable that's breaking, you're going to see the strands. Oh, yeah. You'll see the strands. You pull the clutch in, you'll see strands. If you'll see shiny bits or it's a bit worn, then there's a problem and you want to solve that. Again, it's down to preventive maintenance in the first place. Are there any other things that you can do like that? Well, we're not even running the spare clutch cable. You know, what you're saying is get the clutch cable, replace it, keep your old one as the spare, right? And put that yep. in your bag. Um, anything else we can do like that? What, what about wheel bearings? Wheel bearings are a tricky one. The uh, common wisdom that I hear far too often is, oh, carry spare wheel bearings, you'll need them. Well, yeah, um, eventually you'll need them, but guess what? 99.9% .9 of motorcycle wheel bearings are standard bearings. There's nothing special about them, which means you can walk into any bearing supply house, virtually anywhere in the world, any city of size will have bearing supply house. Take in your old bearings and they'll look at them, read the numbers off it and give you an equivalent. It may not be a top brand manufacturer, but it's plenty good enough to get you home. It'll, you know, they'll Even a cheap bearing will last thousands and thousands of miles without any issues at all. So if it's a standard bearing, it's a standard bearing. Don't worry about it. Don't carry it. So would it be wise to change the, or whenever you change the bearings before you go to mark down those numbers so you don't have to carry the bearing around, or are you going to need the physical bearing for them to measure to make sure they got the right one? No, they have a number on them, and the exact number, brand, everything, all the numbers that are engraved into it, I would record all of it and keep that, and that's all you need. So you can call ahead to the next town and say, do you have this bearing or call it somewhere else and have them send it to you. As long as you've got the bearing number, that's all that matters. So anything else? Is, is there anything else that we can, you know, sort of that we would take or you would recommend that people take along with them? Fuses. Or, fuses? Okay. <laughs> fuses. Fuses is a big one. Um, oh, back to bearings. 
on the bearings before you go. Make sure you've cleaned out the area where the bearing is. There's no dirt, no grit. Pack them really full with a waterproof marine-type bearing grease. And make sure the seals are in good condition. Pack behind the seals with grease and seal it up. Um, replace the seals when you take it apart. Make sure they're in good condition is what matters. Prevent the water and grit from getting in there in the first place. Grease and good seals is what does the job. I also grease the axle because water can creep along a dry axle and get inside. So if you a little bit of grease on the axle prevents that too. So you're saying you're talking so, about greasing the cavity, filling the cavity so that you can't get water in there that sits in there and corrodes everything up. You betcha. Yeah. Stop yep, it I all. Do, I do the same thing. And, and a lot of people will talk about um, popping um, uh, seals off of bearings and packing them with grease because people complain there's not much grease in them. Yeah, that's why I say pack it full of grease. <laughs> Fill it full of fresh grease. Lots of it. Be generous. Um, more grease won't hurt it. More grease keeps the uh, grot and water and grit out. That's all good. Do you go with sealed bearings or do you prefer bearings without seals? It depends totally on the application. Most of the time I will go with what the factory supplies. And the reason that they have open bearings rather than sealed bearings is actually for a very good reason. You can pack it full of fresh grease. Whereas with sealed bearings, whatever they put inside and decided was adequate, and it may not be the same original application that the motorcycle manufacturers decided to use, um, it may not have enough grease to do the job as well as you'd like. I pulled seals off bearings and looked inside and said, hmm, I would like more grease in there. So I'm not a real huge fan of sealed bearings. If I'm riding, setting up a dirt bike and I'm going to race, yes, I'll use sealed bearings because I want to keep the grit out and it's going to get in there no matter what. So underwater conditions, you know, really horrible dirt and dust racing conditions. Yeah, sealed bearings are great, but I think for normal use, you don't need them. Just make sure that the seal that the manufacturer puts in, in addition to the bearing, is in good condition. That should do the job properly. There's um, a lot of, um, well, the bearing manufacturers will say that they're not packed with grease for a reason. They can overheat or run too hot, which liquefies the grease by having them packed too tight. So you want to be careful of popping the seals off and, and packing them. Or the other method could be to pop the seals off and leave them off and make it a, and of course that depends on your application too, because you certainly don't want that in an exposed area where it has to fight off a, a lot of debris uh, or any debris for that matter. Um, yeah. But that'd be a method of, as well. Well, it's back to where I was in the first place, which is whatever the factory, the motorcycle factory said is the correct bearing to use, sealed, unsealed, shielded, whatever, that's what you should be using and just pack it with grease and it should be fine. Um, The motor, the uh, bearing manufacturers worry about overheating because they're also thinking about using those bearings at high speeds. Motorcycle wheels don't actually turn that fast. So heating, overheating isn't a big issue. It could be a potential issue, but uh, I've never felt a hub that was that hot. And once again, it goes back to that thing. They designed it this way, just run it the way they engineered it and they spent the money figuring it all out, run it the same way. Exactly. I mean, you're, you're, you're disagreeing with somebody who's got an engineering degree, has years of experience in the motorcycle industry. They've also tested it and decided that that's the correct thing to use. Um, average guy probably isn't smarter than they are, so I tend to go with what the factory says. <laughs> okay, so we talked about the cable. Um, are there any other things that we that we would take with us as far as spare parts or that you would recommend? 
Spare parts is a really tricky one. Um, some bikes have known issues, like the old BMW R80GS that we rode around the world. The electrical system on them is rubbish. So a lot of people actually were carrying spare rotors, which is a big, heavy lump of metal, and a spare diode board, whatever. They were carrying all kinds of bits. And that was common, normal, expected. But today, there's all kinds of replacement aftermarket components that replace those and do a much better job and are very reliable without any issues. Uh, the Africa Twin has a bad regulator rectifier. They, they fail all the time, so there's an aftermarket replacement for it. Uh, things like that, you need to check in on the forums and ask about what breaks on this bike. What's the common issues? Find out what they are. Talk to your dealer. Ask them, what breaks on this? What should I carry a spare? What would you recommend? What do you sell a lot of? Um, that'll help you decide what you want to take. Having said that, you could carry a whole lot of spare parts, and the things that break won't be the ones you've got with you. <laughs> Sam Manicom can tell you all about that. He carried every spare part there was, and it was a known thing. When he was in Africa, you got a broken GS? Call Sam. He's probably got a spare part for you. <laughs> I mean, on my GS, I carried uh, spare clutch and brake lever. That was kind of a known thing that you did in those days. I've still got them absolutely brand spanking new, shiny, still in the packaging in a spare parts kit for that bike. They've never been used. Didn't need them. They're very tough. They don't break easily. Mm. That, that was for dropping it, right? That's for, that's for dropping it. Crash damage is another whole thing. There's lots of things you can do to prevent crash damage. Um, you've got to have crash bars. You've got to think about Something that people are afraid to do, and it's, it's kind of silly because it's going to happen by itself anyway, is lay your bike down on its side. Look at it. Think about it. What's going to get damaged? What's going to is vulnerable? What's going to be a problem? What's going to get really badly damaged? What do I need to protect? Um, the master cylinder, for instance. On some bikes, it's sticking way out in the breeze and a, a branch, a rock, falling down, anything, and it's it can get ripped off. So you need to think about protecting that. Uh, speaking of levers, you need something like bark busters. Put something on to protect the levers from crash when you crash. Um, mirrors. Okay, standard mirrors. You know, I last checked a mirror. It was like $150 for a mirror. I just mm -hmm. about had a heart attack. You can buy aftermarket mirrors that fold out of the way for a quarter of that price and sell your originals. You've got a profit and you've got better <laughs> That's mirrors. A good point, yeah. Very okay, so there's lots of things you can do, but you got to think about what's going to get damaged and is going to stop me. Bikes with radiators. Oh, yes, you really want a good crash bar around your radiator and you want a protector in front of it so that if a rock comes flying up or a branch, um, if you're riding on tight trails, you might want to be able to protect it from branches too, but primarily rocks and crashing because the odds are you're going to go down at some point. So protect it from crash damage. Yeah, you see that sometimes when you see people's placements for their, their off-road lights or their auxiliary lights, they put them on, you think, boy, if they lay that bike down, they're ripped off. I'm pretty much guaranteed yeah. the first time you drop it. Yeah, 300 bucks for a light, and all you got to do is fall over in a parking yeah. lot. It's yeah, crazy. Some, something you want to look at in advance. What about oil filters? A lot of people talk about taking oil filters with them, stocking up. I think carrying one is a good idea. Um, depends, again, on where you're going, what your route is going to be. If you've always got one ahead, then you're safe somewhere. But I wouldn't. I would be unhappy about carrying two or three of them. They're bulky. You know, they're not that expensive. 
Um, plan your route, plan your mileage, use good quality synthetic oil. You're going to get the maximum distance out of it. Change your oil more frequently. You can easily do two oil changes on one filter if you're using good oil and you change it frequently enough. Um, again, the factory's recommended um, oil change intervals are ideal. Less mileage, of course, if you're doing nasty trails and lots of slow off-road riding or whatever, you're going to change it more often. But change the oil every second time to filter and plan your route so you don't have to carry too many filters. I mean, if I was going across Russia and Mongolia, I'd probably carry two filters for my 1200GS, but I sure wouldn't carry any more. I don't like carrying spares. <laughs> One thing to always remember is that today, virtually anything is deliverable virtually anywhere in the world within a week via FedEx, UPS, DHL, etc. It's, it's all available. As far as taking the bike, what bike you take, because we're talking about preventing mechanical problems, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the difference between the simple bike, the the, um, the Honda 650, what is it, XR650, the KLR, the DR, those bikes opposed to, I know you're a BMW guy, but opposed to your computer-laden uh, Africa Twins, BMWs, things like that, or Yamahas? Okay, to be clear, I'm not a BMW guy. I happen to ride a BMW. <laughs> it's just more happenstance than anything else. Okay, that's good, because um, I think you always get labeled as a BMW guy, especially when we talk on Raw. Well, that's because I'm riding a BMW. It doesn't mean I'm a BMW guy. <laughs> I'm the I mean, same way. I, like, I don't ride any particular make. I ride what I happen to have at the time, what I like, what suits my needs. I, I, I'm definitely not a brand person either. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to clarify that. I pick a bike that will do the job for what I want. And for my current purpose, for, well, let's go back to 1987, uh, 86 even, uh, we were heading around the world and we wanted to do it two up. And I looked at all the different bikes that were available and I went to BMW and I said, have you got anything? Because I've been looking and looking and I didn't see anything. I was like, well, I used to be a work for BMW and maybe I can get a deal here. So I got a deal and I got my current, the R80GS that we rode around the world, half price. Okay, mm-hmm. for wow. that price, I'll take it. <laughs> and the the alternatives at that time were things like Yamaha XT500s, and I'm I'm over six feet, and Susan's not short either. And between the two of us, a 500 single just really no, I don't think I want to do that. And a pure street bike, no, I don't think I want to do that either. So the GS happened to be the bike, especially in those days, that was a great choice for two up. Mm. Today I'm riding a 1200 GS. And by coincidence, it still happens to be what I think is the best all-around bike to do just about anything and everything for two people on any kind of a trip or anywhere you want to go. It works great. And I got a smoking deal on it. Okay, so money matters. That's not that I, I'm rich and can afford to buy a BMW. I got a smoking deal on it. So, okay, I'm riding a BMW. But if I was going out to spend my own money tomorrow on another bike – for a around-the-world trip, I'd be looking Japanese. You know, they're generally more reliable. Uh, whether they will do the job better for what you want or not is another thing. I think the Africa Twin, the 1200GS, serious competitors, the Triumph, oh, I don't know. It's a really, really hard choice. As always, it comes down to do you like the bike? Does it work for you? Does it do the job you want? Forget the brand, forget the label, it doesn't matter. Um, What's its reputation for reliability? That matters. So make your own choice. 
We're going to take just a short break, but stick around because next we're going to talk a little bit about uh, electrical stuff. And and Grant's got a a tip for an electrical device that um, with a little knowledge may save you massive headaches on the road. Now, um, Overland Expo East is coming up this November 9 to 11th south of uh, Asheville, North Carolina in the U.S. And um, as usual, it's at a very impressive venue called the Reeb Ranch. Man, I don't know how they get the locations they manage to get for for these things. So if you haven't been to Overland Expo, this is like a, this a huge event for overlanders of all kinds, of course, motorcyclists included. And there's so much going on at an Overland Expo. I don't, I don't really know where to start with it, but they've got... Um, They've got vendors showcasing products, answering questions that you get to walk up and talk to um, that get you outfitted for your adventure, etc. They've got over 175 hours of specialized classes, slideshows, and programs to help get you trained. There's hundreds of experts, teachers, authors, videographers. Really, there's so much going on. If you like adventure, in particular, if you like the idea of travel, either long or short, um, then treat yourself weekend at Overland Expo East this November 9th to 11th. Um, you'll get to see what other travelers are using, meet tons of like-minded people, and you just be able to learn so much. See, Overland Expo is not like your typical motorcycle or adventure show. It's um, more like a massive, I don't know, get-together, sort of, where you get to learn from those who have the experience, those people who've been there and done that, all types of things, things you may not even ever want to do, but it's pretty interesting to learn about. You get to meet and talk with others, you get to check out new products, just a a real hands-on and valuable event. And by the end of the weekend, you will have learned a ton, met a load of people, and had a chance to see what other people are doing for their adventures, both equipment and the adventures themselves. Now, for the event, you need to buy the tickets online for Overland Expo. So trip by their website, which is www.overlandexpo.com. Click on Go East. That's Overland Expo East, of course. And they've got a number of different ways you can attend. Um, But, um, oh yeah, and on Saturday night, they have a moto party, which is um, for motorcyclists. It's a dinner and um, uh, they've got these giveaways that they do. They get thousands of dollars in prizes that they give away at this thing. So drop by, check out what they have. Their website, www.overlandexpo.com. Again, click East, buy your tickets online. And when you do, or anytime you talk to them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Okay, so you're not a BMW guy. All right, I got that. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so, so going back to that though, what about like just the difference between that that basic mechanical bike and and our more advanced bikes? I mean, let's say you're doing a serious round the world trip. You're thinking of being some remote spots. Is there still some wisdom to that thought process of hey, I can probably fix it on the side of the road if it's a you know a mostly mechanical you know sort of standard bike, however you want to word that? Yep, absolutely. I think there's no doubt that a simple bike has a big advantage over the more complicated ones. Um, having said that, the older bikes, the, the simple bikes are old technology. The DR650 is, I forget how many years old it is, but it's like a, it's a 20, 30 year old design. Mm. Same as a KLR and all that. And the Honda. Um, design was just good then. Yeah, they're all ancient, ancient designs. Anything new and modern, um, has another 20 or 30 years of development, technology, they're more reliable, they've uh, got better fuel mileage. The S650 is a great example. The fuel mileage on an S650 is amazing compared to a DR650. It's like 50% more. Somebody's going to disagree, but there's a big difference. Um, 
modern bikes are generally more reliable than the old ones. They break down less. Uh, electronic components, yes, if they break, you're in deep trouble, but they don't break very often. Yeah. It's very rare. So it's a trade-off. Old technology versus new technology. What are you more comfortable with? And what is your personal mechanical ability? I, mean, I know some people who their bike stops and they look in the gas tank, you know, got gas, hmm, push the button, nothing happens. Okay, now what? They have no idea. Yeah, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's that's absolutely fine. The problem is there's no point in them buying an old simple bike that can be fixed at the side of the road if they haven't got a clue where to start. Sure. You're better off to have a modern bike that's less likely to break down and cross your fingers because if it does break, well, okay, you're going to have the same problem as you would have on a simple bike. You still don't know how to fix it. So it's a tough one. When we were talking about uh, doing this this episode, you were, we were talking about the spare cable, et cetera, and you were saying that it's more about preventing Absolutely. problems. How do we do that? That comes down to a couple of very simple things. One is your owner's manual has a recommended things to do at particular mileages. Do them. It's as simple as that. That sounds so boring. I know it's boring. <laughs> But it matters. I mean, my, I, my 86 R80GS manual has in it, I've ticked off the, the services that I did as I went along. I did the service by the book. And I'm a guy who was a mechanic for years before that and a dealer and all the rest of it. I went by the book and I ticked it off and made sure that I had actually done it. Um, that, may, that matters. There's other things you can do for a big trip to make sure that the bike is going to be less of an issue. You're going to have less likelihood of a problem. Um, and electricals is probably the single biggest number one problem that everybody has on a regular basis. You, you go talk to any motorcycle mechanic and I'll tell you, yeah, electricals is our biggest pain in the neck. They're the hardest to fix and they happen so often, especially on old bikes. Um, so that's, that's something to really think about. And what happens is that it's, primarily it's the connectors get dirty and corroded. So if you want to fix that, you want to prevent it? You can. I prevent it um, on my old RAEGS. Uh, I took apart every electrical connector on the bike, brand new, and cleaned them, made sure it was perfect, and I reassembled it with dielectric grease. Dielectric grease is wonderful stuff for electricals. You want to always have some available. Uh, if you've got any corrosion, you want to clean it off, use a fine sandpaper, a scraper, whatever. Get those electrical connections clean, seal them up, dielectric grease. Um, you think about your bike when you're riding down the road, where's the rain and grit come from? From the front of the bike. Okay, so you've got an electrical connection underneath the tank. Rain and grit is going straight in on top of it. So cover the front of that connection with silicone seal. Seal it up from the front. But always remember that even if you seal it up thoroughly, water always seems to manage to get in there somehow. So leave the water a way to get out. Prevent it as best you can from getting in from the front, from any direction where there's going to be an issue, and give it a place to get out. Seal the whole thing up with dielectric grease, and you've eliminated 99% of your electrical issues. And at the same time, probably about 90-something percent of all your problems generally with your bike. Dielectric grease. Uh, talk about dielectric grease and, and what it is. Dielectric grease is basically a grease that is a way of keeping out moisture it keeps the connector clean, and it keeps it lubricated, which is good, and it prevents corrosion. Hmm. It also stops oxygen from being in there, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a complete seal. Right. It seals the connector out. 
boat people use the uh, dialect degrees all the time on everything, and motorcycle people should too. It does come with some, or used to come with some high tension wires as well. You, you buy a kit of high tension wires, it'll come with a small tube of dielectric grease that you put in there. Same reasons. Yep, exactly. And one of the things you do with the dielectric grease on your spark plug caps is put a little smear on the rubber cap so that when you push it on and off, it comes off easily. Mm-hmm. Works much better and keeps the grit, keep water out of the uh, spark plug cap. Very important. So what else for preventative issues? Um, because you said do everything in the manual, but, but I mean, are, are we looking at like going above and beyond that? Not really, other than a thorough check of every nut and bolt on the bike, and that doesn't mean put a wrench on it and tighten it some more. That means check it's tight. Um, check over everything, make sure everything's in good shape. Look at wear points, check anything that if it moves, lubricate it. If it should move someday, lubricate it. Uh, make sure it's all clean, in good condition. Um, check your side stand and clutch safety switches. Those are constant issues, especially the side stand one. Uh, some people advocate removing them, but I think they're a good safety item because we all have lapses. So look after them and set them up and take them apart, seal them, and most importantly, know how to bypass them if they fail. I think that's a really important thing. Make some notes in your owner's manual. It's a good place for notes. Um, how do you bypass the safety switch? What's the trick? There always is. There's always a way of getting around it. Yeah, and they can be fairly common issues that, again, you can you can find on the forums, even Horizons Unlimited. Oh, um, you yeah. can find it on there where people have already had the problems, those common ones. A rock flies up and hits the switch and breaks it, and they'll tell you how to short the switch out. Yep. So write that down in your book. Uh, the um, What do you call it? On a 1200 GS, the fuel pump, uh, there's a word for it, I can't remember. The fuel pump controller gets corroded because it's out in the open and it gets nasty. And there is a fix for that. You can actually bypass it so that instead of the fuel pump not working at all, it works full time, which is not good for the fuel pump, but it'll get you home. And it's a fairly easy fix once you know how. So find out those things. So bypassing the relay that operates the pump so to speak. Um, I was going to ask you that, are those little things that we should know, you know, about the bikes? But I mean, I guess it's sort of when I thought of it, I thought, well, it sort of goes to that thing of what's your mechanical abilities and, um, you know, what's your plan for riding, uh, I guess, too, right? I mean, you know, are you planning to do remote areas where you're going to take care of your bike or are you going to step off it and and call for help or wait for somebody to come along? Yeah, I know know guys that talking about toolkits that, uh, I know one guy said, I never carry a toolkit. He's from Italy. He says, I don't don't, don't don't carry a toolkit. Why would I carry a toolkit? I don't know how to use it. Mm. No idea. Okay, fine. I know another guy who carries a toolkit but has no idea how to use it because he says, well, if it breaks at the side of the road and somebody comes along, they might not have any tools, but I got the tools and they can fix it for me. Right. Okay, different way of thinking about it. So you need to decide what is your ability and, and um, what are you willing to put up with and what do you want to learn? Peter and Kay Forwood rode around the world on a Harley Electroglide and neither of them are mechanics. They really had no clue, but they carried a full-on Harley uh, service manual and Kay would read the book and tell him what to do. It worked great. Now, do you carry a manual for your, for your bike when you go? Yeah, when we went on the uh, original around the world trip, we carried the factory BMW service manual. Uh, my current 1200 GS, I don't bother, but uh, if I was doing a big trip through Africa or something, yes, I would carry it. 
The thing with the service manuals now, I mean, they're, they're breaking down into two, three manuals, I think, for some of them. Yeah, you can get digital ones now. Mm, right, that makes sense. So, so get it and, and load it onto a tablet or, or something like yep. that. Sure, you can, put, you can put them on your phone these days. Common failure items, you, you sort of alluded to that to begin with. I think you said something about it to begin with, um, just saying find out what, what fails on your bike if your bike is known for an issue and carry those things. As far as preventative maintenance, there's not much we can do with that, is there? I mean, you just got to expect that, okay, this bike's known for it, likely it's going to have the relay go or, or the fuse blow or something like that. Yeah, those are uh, things that once you know about them, you pay more attention to them, you keep the connectors clean. Um, the reason some electrical components fail is because the connector's dirty and it's getting intermittent voltage or it's not getting enough voltage, whatever, and it's not going to work properly, so it fails. So you can help prevent that by making sure it's clean, making sure it's got uh, a good breeze. Sometimes regulator rectifiers are mounted in stupid places where if you're riding slow, they're not getting any wind over them, so they overheat and cook. So think about that. Again, you're back to the forum for that bike and what actually are the things that fail. You go to any of the forums and the things that fail are a never-ending source of uh, conversation. So find out what does fail regularly on your bike and why does it fail and how do you help prevent it as best you can or replace with a better component in the first place. If someone was just about to get into motorcycle travel and they came to you and, and she says, Grant, I'm going to go on this trip. What do you think I should learn to do mechanically on my bike? What, what advice would you give her? I would strongly recommend that anyone should be able to do the basic service that's in the book. Uh, you might not want to do valve adjustments, for instance, because some bikes it's very complicated and should be left to a mechanic. Other bikes it's dead easy. I can do my old R80 GS in about 20 minutes. It's so easy and anybody can learn it. But the basics, adjusting the chain, checking the nuts and bolts, changing the oil, uh, how to adjust the clutch correctly. I've, I had a guy came to our event in Morocco and his dealer had adjusted his clutch incorrectly, and he was complaining, oh, the clutch is slipping. I'm going to have to buy a new clutch. What am I going to do? I'm in Morocco. Oh, my God. It took about 10 seconds to go spin, spin, spin on the clutch cable adjuster and give him a little bit of play, and the clutch was fine. Right. right? He didn't know that. But had he so known that the means, basics, he would have been able to spot it right away and went, no, this clutch is not right. I yeah, free instantly. Play. Yeah. So and there's even a conversation on the forum right now about a guy with an Africa twin who has a clutch problem. He said he rode in some sand and then his clutch failed. Well, he's not telling us what failed, what doesn't work, why is it wrong, what's happening, what's going on. So he has no clue about basics. Mm. So we can't, we can't even help him solve the issue because we can't figure out what the issue is. Clutch failed. Is that the cable's too tight? Is, the, is it a hydraulic clutch? I don't know. We need some information. So knowing the basics so that you can at least say, hmm, here's my problem in detail, and then somebody else can say, oh, well, here's what you do, and away you go. So basics, yeah, I used to teach a, um, a night school course that was basic motorcycle mechanics. Basically how to do the basic stuff, do the regular service, do your chain adjustment, you know, adjust cables, do an oil change, adjust the valves, all the basic simple stuff that everybody, I would like to say, should be able to do. I think it's important if you're going to do a big trip to be able to do those things. For one thing, at $80 an hour or something, for somebody to do something that you could do yourself in about the same time seems kind of a waste of money. And also it gives you some 
a couple of things. It gives you the confidence that I can do the basic stuff. And if something goes wrong, I can probably figure it out because I know what it's supposed to be like and I know the basics. And it also says, as you're doing these things and doing your regular service, you spot problems that are developing and are going to become a big problem. So you fix them before they become a big problem and leave you stranded at the side of the road. And I think to me, that's always the basic is fix it before it breaks. Keep an eye on it, maintain it, look after it, understand it, and you won't have any problems. And that's not motorcycle specific. If you were talking about four by fours, if you were talking about donkeys, it's all the same, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're riding a horse. You got to rub it down after and you got to feed it properly yeah, and clean its hooves keep, check its and, hooves and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, you, it's the same thing. Right. Yeah. It's not that motorcycles are unreliable or need extra special attention. This, that's just something that you should do if you're traveling with something. Yep, absolutely. And I see far too often I hear and, and see people just not maintaining their bike. I look at what they're riding at an event and I look at it and I go, oh my God, when was the last time you actually did anything to it? I touched the clutch lever and um, this thing's so far out of adjustment, it's a joke. Yeah, and I see that all the time. People just don't do the basics. It's simple. There's nothing hard about it. Okay. And you also mentioned fuel filters to me. Yeah, fuel filters, uh, modern fuel-injected bikes have one, but it's usually in the tank, and that makes it expensive, and it's awkward and a pain in the neck to replace. If it's an old one, replace it before you go. So you've got a good, fresh one ready to go. Um, you might want to carry a spare, depending on how bulky it is and how awkward it is to replace it. Um, but you can also use uh, like a nylon sock or a filter of some kind for the fuel that goes into the tank if you're any place that's a little bit dodgy. That's always a good idea anyway if it's... Um, place like Mongolia, you might want to be a little extra careful. If the fuel is coming out of a bottle, uh, a Coke bottle or something, yeah, you might want to filter it before it goes in, just to be sure. Uh, carbureted bikes often have only a coarse filter inside the tank, which everyone forgets to clean, of course, because uh, they don't even see it. It's not there. You have to take the tap off to clean it, check it, make sure it's clean. Um, you might want to add a second external filter that's clear so that you can see fuel going through. The filter that's inside the tank is very coarse, so you want a fine paper-type external filter. Uh, that way you can see if there's any issue with the fuel, if there's any water in it or any dirt accumulating. It's a good idea to keep an eye on that. You mentioned a sock for the fuel, like a Google Tech filter or something like that. Are there other ones other than that? Nylon stocking works well. Who wears stockings nowadays? I don't, you don't hardly see those anymore. Ladies do. Some of them do. <laughs> well, that's what I meant. <laughs> well, you don't see ladies anymore and then well, wear no, stockings? No, I ever? just don't. I, I thought stockings were sort of out now. I don't want to get into a fashion discussion with you, Grant, but I, <laughs> I thought they were out. <laughs> they might be. I don't know. <laughs> but I'll bet you you can find something like that. Okay, so we're both unqualified for this part of the conversation. <laughs> but, but if you can get them, they work then. Yes. Anything like that. Anything fine that's going to filter it. Okay. So that's fuel filters. Um, anything else like that? Um, a hugger for the rear shock. Look at a 1200 GS and it throws its dirt straight onto the shock. I think your F800 probably does the same thing. It does, yeah. It does. So if you can keep that dirt off the shaft, guess how much longer that seal is going to last? We did a piece some time ago, quite a while ago, on, on uh, we talked about suspension and we talked about the pitting of forks. And I was surprised and alarmed at how just delicate this surface is, how it can mm -hmm. be dinted from stones and things. So that's what you're talking about. So, so talk about the hugger. Uh, rear shock is usually very exposed in modern bikes. 
Uh, it's clean and it's out in the open and it looks cool, but the rear tire is often throwing dirt and rock straight at it. It needs to be protected. You want to put on something like a rear wheel hugger, uh, a bit of plastic that basically goes over the front wheel, or sorry, over the front of the rear wheel to protect that shock. If you can protect the shock from getting dirt, mud, rocks on it, you're gonna, your seals are going to last much, much longer. And its shocks need to be rebuilt every 20 to 30,000 miles. And it can be expensive to re rebuild them more often because they fail. And you really don't want your shock to fail when you're in the middle of Africa. That's a really difficult thing to get rebuilt. So protect it with a hugger. So that's a simple thing you can do, probably not, not that expensive. And you could probably Mickey Mouse something if you wanted to, to yeah. stop the, the rocks from flying up. I actually, on an old race bike, I used a piece of sheet metal and a piece of aluminum and duct tape to put a hugger in front of the rear tire to prevent rocks from throwing straight into the carburetors. Very simple, weighed nothing, it was easy, and it lasted and lasted and lasted. It was fine. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. And that's certainly preventative because, um, yeah, like you say, if that could mean the failure of your shock on your trip or maybe afterwards when you come back, and the difference is huge. Yeah. And the cost of a shock, yes. Um, another little tidbit that I did on my old R80 GS, the clutch actuating mechanism is right on the back of the transmission, right in line with the dirt flying off the rear tire. Way out in the open, there's a needle bearing in there. There's no seal to protect the bearing whatsoever. So I just took a piece of inner tubing, cut it into a box shape, effectively, with a little bit of contact cement, zip-tied it on, and instead of having to replace that bearing every 50-odd thousand miles, it's still the original. It's still in perfect condition. It's clean. It's still got grease on it. It's fine. So a little preventive maintenance, a little thought to where does the dirt get? First time you ride the bike off-road, have a good look at it. Where's the dirt? Do I want the dirt there? Is that a good place for the dirt to be? Maybe not. Okay, fix it. It's not that hard. A bit of plastic, a bit of inner tubing, whatever. Fix it up. We're going to take just a quick break, but stick around because we're going to talk chains after this. We've got some good tips about chains coming up um, if you ride a chain-driven bike. Well, I spent the last few days doing some exploring in the, uh, the bush of Ontario, Canada. We're visiting, and I'll tell you, one of the things different about riding here from riding on Vancouver Island is the mud. I mean, you go down a, a trail and there's just tons of mud. I, I went down one the other day and there's, in minutes, there's mud holes, then there's rocks, then there's hills, then there's back to mud. So on a large adventure bike, you're really working at this. You're leaning one way and the other, and you're transferring weight from one peg to another, and every now and then scraping a foot peg on a rock. I mean, this is a Canadian shield, and so there's plenty of rocks, even in the mud. Well, these IMS foot pegs that are on my bike totally shine in this terrain. The mud just falls out of the peg, the watershed design, like they did it on purpose, they did, and um, never once did I have to worry about my foot placement. And at one point, I came to this steep incline and sort of a, went down into a mud hole. I hit a submerged rock on the way down into it. And the bike went left and I, I dabbed my foot down. But there's nothing there but soft, gooey mud. So over I went. Now, my bike weighs like over 500 pounds. So I'm in the mud up to my elbow. It feels like there's no bottom. And my left foot was stuck under the bike. And I'll tell you, you got to get creative about getting your foot out when you're there by yourself. It took me a number of tries. Finally, um, I, I got my foot out. It's good to have a buddy with you at this point. But like I say, I'm, I'm by myself. So finally, I get my foot out and I go to lift the bike. But the more I try and lift, the further I sink down into the mud. I mean, this is really gooey stuff. It, it sticks like, um, like, like clay almost. So here I'm covered in mud. It's packed around my engine, packed around the foot pegs, packed around the frame. My boots look like two globs of 
unrecognizable just blub. Um, but I mean, there's mud everywhere. So the only way to get out at this point, now they've got the, the bike stood up after several tries, was to ride it out. So I swing a leg over in a clump that I assumed was my foot, fired it up, get in the clutch, stood up and rode out of it. And then I had to go up a, a real rocky hill. And you know, I didn't even think about it until minutes later, the left peg had been jammed under the mud, filled. And as soon as I stood it up, jumped on the on the bike with my muddy feet, muddy pegs, I had full control immediately to climb that rocky hill. The IMS foot peg did exactly what it was designed to do. Drop the mud, connect the foot with the foot peg and giving me total control. That's what you want in a foot peg. Drop by their website, see what I'm talking about, www.imsproducts.com. They've got a full range of adventure pegs designed specifically for us adventure riders. And make sure when you're talking to them, either when you're asking about the foot pegs, asking which ones you should get, always mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. You know, chain uh, is, is a whole other topic. And um, mm. when we're talking about the chain, though, I mean, I guess the one thing is with the long trip, you're going to get a lot more out of it if you take care of it. Well, there's actually three basic schools of thought on chains. Okay. One is very simple. Keep the chain clean. Use a little WD-40. It's not my recommendation, but people like it. Uh, light oil, spray lib, chain lib on to lubricate the side plates, and that's it. More effort isn't worth the effort and required for the increase in life that you get. Okay, that's mm -hmm. one idea. Uh, the second idea is keep the chain clean, again, and lubricate it religiously with good quality chain oil. Now, a tip is always lube the chain when it's hot immediately after a ride. I know that's not when you want to do it, but that's the best time because the lube will penetrate better, and when you get on it in the morning, the thin carrier will have dried, leaving a nice sticky lube behind that won't fling off instantly which is what happens when you lube it in the morning. You lube it in the morning, spray it on, the carrier hasn't evaporated, you go for a ride, and all the chain lube flies off. doesn't work very well. Right. Yeah, uh, hang on, you said carrier there. This is just for those who don't know. What, what are you talking about? The lubricant has two basic, or the chain lube has two basic components to be, keep it very simple. One is a thin carrier, which is, think WD-40 or think uh, acetone, any lightweight material that carries with it the thick grease. Thick grease doesn't go on in a spray very well, but if you have something thin, the thin carrier it's called, it will spray into the chain and carry the grease with it into the places you want it to get to. Then that carrier evaporates and leaves grease behind. Right, which is why you're saying do it when it's hot so that it penetrates, because if you do it when it's cold, it's just going to sit on top and that carrier will be gone and you'll get no more penetration. And the reason for that is because the reason they set it up with this carrier to penetrate it is because you want the, I guess, the uh, the viscosity, that that uh, thin viscosity for the oil to penetrate while you apply it. But then afterwards, you don't want it to be lightweight anymore. Now you want it to be thicker so it stays on the chain rather than getting flung off as soon as you ride down the road. Very well said, Jim. We need to trade places here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay the, the third one is keep the chain clean and run a Scott oiler or similar to continuously lube the chain. That's three basic concepts. Um, of course, there's a fourth item. If you're riding in sand or mud, don't lube the chain as lubricant and sand make a great grinding paste. For sand, just keep it clean and dry. For mud, I like to clean it at the end of the day, lube it well, wipe off any and all excess so it's lubed but not covered in goo. That's the important thing. You don't want to make the, uh, supply that grinding paste. Uh, 
And that's basically it. Are you cleaning it every day? If I'm riding in the mud, you bet. But normally you do a visual check when it's dirty, you clean it? Yep, that's it. Now, some people are more anal than others, put it that way. Any other tips for the chain? Keep it well adjusted. Um, the biggest problem with chains is people do them too tight. And because it's with modern bikes with long travel suspension, the bike sits high on its suspension, it's unloaded, and the chain looks really loose. Well, it's actually supposed to be really loose because the tightest point is when the swing arm is horizontal and the rear sprocket, swing arm pivot, and front sprocket are in a straight line. That's the tightest point. And that's where you actually want to check to make sure that it, you've got that half to three quarters of an inch of slack in the chain. Or you go by the manufacturer's recommendation and they will usually, but unfortunately not always, give you a point at which to measure the, the slack and give you the correct amount of slack. Go by that. Never go tight. If in doubt, go loose. Because if you go tight, you'll destroy your transmission bearing behind the front sprocket and possibly rear wheel bearings as well. And we're able to chain much faster too. All very, very bad and expensive things to do. So loose is good. Tight is very bad. Anything else that you would do before you head off on a trip right now? It's all the little things. The electricals is the biggest Make sure those electrics are just spotless, perfect, sealed, protected, best you can, because that's where 99% of the issues come. It's just electricals are such a pain. So what what about the, the Farkles that we like to add on to our bikes, the way we're going to improve them for our trip? Don't would be a really simple answer. <laughs> It's going to get everybody upset. Don't add Farkles. <laughs> you mean don't add Farkles. Grant, that is, that is... Well, there's, there's two reasons. <laughs> one right. is it's another point of failure. Actually, more than two reasons. It, one, it's another point of failure. Two, you probably did it. There's a big point of failure. And three, that's a lot of money that you could spend on travel and gas. So there's, some, there's, there's some, another way of looking at it. Um, the biggest one is to make sure that what you put on in the way of additional Farkles, you actually really need. Yes, I want my GPS. Do I need it? Well, yeah, I need my GPS. Um, so I want to be able to fuse that in properly. Um, you want to add additional lights. Okay, I'm not a big fan of additional lights, but if you want to add in additional lights – as we talked about earlier, make sure they're crash damage protected, but also you want to make sure they're properly fused. So any additional electronic or electrical components you put in, you've got to fuse it properly. And there are several boxes you can buy that uh, give you nice quality fuse systems, uh, replaceable fuses easily. There's an electronic one that doesn't even use fuses. Uh, there's various ways of doing it, but make sure you've got the right fuse setting or fuse for your component. Don't put something in bigger than is necessary. Uh, it's, you really don't want to have too big a fuse in or too, too big a number of fuse. Uh, if you already have fuses, make sure all your fuses are the same kind. I've got a, a fuse box in my bike and my spare fuses, I've got lots of each of them and they're all sitting right beside the fuse box. So I can always find it quickly and easily. I don't need to go chasing for it. Um, one of my tips is always carry at least three of each spare. One is to just stick it in if it blew and hope it's just a transitory issue, which I have a gadget that does that every once in a while. Um, two, the second one, use when you think it's fixed. And the third one is for when you're sure you fixed it because you didn't get it right the second time. And routing wires is, is huge. I mean, that's where a lot of the problems come from. But back to the fuse for one second. If you're getting a fuse blow and um, 
you blow another one. You know, you replace that fuse and blow another one. You obviously have a, have a short somewhere um, or a ground. And uh, that may be where, uh, you know, you can, you can rig up before you go a little device with a light bulb in the circuit so you can actually run the circuit and figure out where the problem is. Yeah, you can do that. I carry a small digital voltmeter, which I think is is worth carrying. They're they're the size of a small phone now, you know, like mm-hmm. an iPhone four or something. There, in fact, the one I've got is even thinner than an iPhone four, and it's thirty years old. So I'm sure you can get something even smaller and tinier than that. So carry one of those. Have a vague idea of how to use it, and if you know how to use a light bulb and a wire, then you can figure out a VOM. It's not that hard. Um, that can save you a lot of issues too. Anyway, um, routing wires is a very important thing when you're setting up wiring. I used to do, uh, when I was working as a mechanic, um, wiring jobs. I'd get choppers coming in, and they had no wires on them. Beautiful bike, all built out, no wiring. So I'd have to figure out the wiring. And probably the single biggest thing I learned was give it a little extra wire. It's too easy to Mm -hmm. make it really tidy, but it's just that little bit too tight. And if you've got a problem, you can't pull it out to check something it's it's too hard to work on so give yourself a few inches of extra wire to make sure there's not going to be an issue and uh, if you're running from the bike to the front end and the handlebars are turning so the wire is going to be flexing really make sure you've got extra and make sure it's protected so that it doesn't get caught on anything Uh, i've seen people you turn left and the bike cuts out what's that all about Hmm. and it turns out that The wire is routed over the right-hand side of the frame around the steering head to the left handlebar switch. And every time you turn around a corner, that wire goes tight and breaks the electrical wire inside the housing. The insulation looks fine. The wire is fine. But electrically, it's broken. That took me a while to find. (laughs) Annoying things like that. So make sure you've got enough wire and make sure you're using the right gauge of wire. It's, It's very easy to use either too thin a wire or too thick a wire. You want to make sure you have approximately the right thickness of wire. Make sure it's a good quality wire. And be fussy about colors. Start a system. As soon as I, first wire I add, I make a note in my book. What color is the wire? Where does it start? Where does it end? And I draw a little wiring diagram if I've got more than two wires so that I know where everything is. Because five years later, you forget. And 20 or 30 years later, you really forget. Yeah. And, and if you've got some farkles that you bought, often they come with looms, and their looms will often look the same. They'll you know, look like one black loom yep. uh, or, or wire going down. So it's good to tag those because, like you said, you know, six months later, you look at it and you think, I, I don't remember how I wired it. Yep. Tag it. Tag each end, what's, where it goes to the other end, what it's for. Um, color code. Go to the extra effort now because it'll save you an enormous grief in the future. If you're stuck at the side of the road and you're trying to figure out where does this wire go, what's it for, what's going on here, I don't understand, I forget. It's very distressing. Don't ask me how I know. I guess if you run into trouble with with something on your bike, one of the the first things you want to do is, is eliminate those. When you know when you're trying yeah. to figure out an electrical problem, eliminate those farkles. Yeah, pull all the fuses for your farkles. <laughs> You'd be surprised how often that solves the problem. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a video from Helge Peterson, one of the, the trips that he did, but I think he was talking about the failures on the, the trip for the bikes. Every failure was from a Farkle. They were the only failures. They were caused by some modification, something that people added on to make the bike perform better for the trip, mm-hmm. which is ironic. Yep. What did I say at the beginning of this discussion on Farkles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... If you're going to put a Farkle on, 
take the time and do it right. Those scotch connectors are the biggest joke ever. Oh, yeah. and somebody, whoever invented those things should be shot. Uh, do it right. For those who don't know, the scotch connectors are the ones that you take a perfectly good wire and you put the connector over it with your new wire and crimp them together and it pinches through both wires. A very Mickey Mouse connection that's not waterproof and guaranteed to corrode and cause problems for you when you least expect it. And you're being polite. Yes. Well done, Jim. I wouldn't have been so polite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, and they, they are very common too when, when you buy an accessory. Yeah. yeah, it's way too easy to just stick it on and, hey, it works. It's wonderful. It must be perfect. No, it's not. There's places you can go on the web to buy quality electrical connectors that are exactly the same as your factory. You can build a brand new complete wiring harness from available connectors on the on the website, various websites. What's it called? Oh, there's all kinds of them. Oh, Just, I see. What, depends what country you're in. Um, there, I know there's a good one in the UK. There's one, a couple in the US, et cetera. Just Google electrical connectors, motorcycle, mm. and you'd be amazed what's out there. It's just wonderful. Well, all good information, and uh, I think fairly simple, too, easy to follow. Grant, thank you very much once again. Oh, you're welcome, Jim. It's good to be here, and I hope that helps a few people out there. That was Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited. And um, when Grant and I discussed doing this piece, Grant uh, went ahead and wrote a complete article that is now posted on the Horizons Unlimited website. So if you'd like to read more about it, drop by his website, and I'll give you a, a shortcut URL to it. It's hub.to forward slash ARR bike prep. And as always, that link is in our show notes. just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much. We couldn't do it without you. Well, we wouldn't do it without you. <laughs> My name is Jim Martin. I appreciate you listening, and I tell you what, if you like what we're doing, the show is built on a model of some advertising and listener support um, to make the whole thing work. So if you'd like to, you know, consider what you're paying for a cup of coffee each day and the pleasure you get from it, and consider what you get from Adventure Rider Radio once a week. Anyway, drop our website www.adventureriderradio.com forward slash support just go to the website adventureriderradio.com and you'll find it there you can support the show in a number of ways anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker for your pannier your tank bag your tank whatever um, anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our raw show we also have patron that we're signed up for if you're interested in signing up for monthly support which we would absolutely love anyway thanks very much for listening and don't forget about our raw show it's a separate show you need to subscribe separately my name is Jim Martin this is Adventure Rider Radio get it there and ride your bike. See you next week.
this is Petra. And this is Anders. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Yeah.